Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. So, welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I have another full show for you. I have sort of twisted her arms and made her come up with creepy reads <laughs> for the season. Um, she had to think long and hard, so I'm very curious to see what she had to come up with. And of course, we'll be de- updating you on what we've been reading um, and what we finished up reading. So. Let's um, kick it off. There's one book that I can't remember what it was called. It's a perfect creepy read, but I don't remember the name of it. And I just went through my blog index, and I still can't figure it out. So maybe it'll help me. If I give you the plot, maybe you'll be able to figure out what it was. Okay. What's it about? Well, I'll wait till we get into the creepster stuff, and then I'll describe the plot. And then you okay. can tell me if you know it. She's going to make us wait. Okay. I'll make you wait. So, um, and should we talk about Mary B. today, or should we push that yes. off for another. No, let's do it. <laughs> okay. So super spoilery. Um, we're going to go in on Mary B right now. So if you have not read it or you think you want to read it. Yeah. Jump, jump ahead a little bit. Jump ahead a little bit. Give us, give us 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe right. less. Maybe less. Yeah. But just um, proceed with caution. Yeah. Okay. So Mary B. We teased Mary B last week. Mary B is the story of Mary Bennett, the middle Sister from Pride and Prejudice, Prejudice, told from the perspective of Mary. And the first third or so of the book covers um, a timeline within Pride and Prejudice. And then the rest of the book takes place after Pride and Prejudice ends. And um, I have very strong opinions about it. I know you do too. Uh, We both read it. I think we both liked it, but we both have... (laughs) Some things to say about it. I think it was like liking it in spite of yourself, you know. Um, in spite of itself, I think. In spite of itself. Yeah. It definitely, I don't know, at some point you just have to make a decision and let it be what it is because she really, to me, it seems like she was going after the legacy of Pride and Prejudice and she just tried to, like every character was obnoxious. Yeah. So what happens in Mary B., is that Mary, who's the oft-neglected, oft-ridiculed middle child who isn't interested in men, isn't interested in frivolous things like bonnets and shoes, but loves to read and loves to play the piano and is very judgmental about everyone else. Um, She, it turns out, has sort of an active emotional interior life Hmm. and that there have been three men that she has loved over the years. Um, Mr. Collins. The first being Mr. Collins, the Bennett's (laughs) cousin, who we know that from Pride and Prejudice. So, well, I guess we don't know that from Pride and Prejudice, but that makes sense. Mr. Collins, um, Darcy's cousin. Yeah, Fitzwilliam, Colonel Fitzwilliam. Colonel Fitzwilliam, who who is just, I don't know. Kind of a a rake. Yeah, he's a rake. Yeah. I was going to use the D word, but yeah, rake. Yeah, I mean, he does like sort of supposedly fall in love with her. Um, he, oh, for that one moment when he's just like, oh, why'd you have to go away? Because then I got engaged to this other chick. <laughs> right. Yeah. Caroline. So he, Caroline so she, Bingley. And she doesn't really truly love, I mean, there, she. it makes very clear that she's not 
in love with him back. That, you know, when they're together, they don't talk about important things. They don't talk about their thoughts. They basically just fool around and, I think that that's something that she came to after the fact. Yeah. After the fact, you know, now that he's no longer an option and is engaged to someone else, she she decided that it wasn't really love. Except that she does say at one point, you know, when I talk to Fitzwilliam, we don't challenge each other. We don't talk about ideas. We only talk about each other's lives. And then we talk about, like, being together physically. Like, she doesn't... She kind of knows that. And whether she recognizes that in saying that, that means she doesn't truly love him, that may be the case. But she does at least recognize or at least compare that relationship with her relationship with Darcy. Who is her third and final love. Her third and final love is her (laughs) sister's husband, uh, Darcy, who um, is now married to Elizabeth. They live at Pemberley. Elizabeth tries to get pregnant, gets pregnant, delivers a stillborn baby. um, And decides that's it for her. Decides that's it. She doesn't think her body can handle trying for another baby. That's kind of, that whole thing is a little bit of a cop out. But basically, the author. I mean, the fact that she's just able to decide like that and there are no repercussions from a man of Darcy standing at this time in England is just totally. well, there are repercussions. I mean, she they don't have a marriage anymore. Like well, they she, don't have a marriage anymore, but I just don't even think that that would have been possible or allowed in a sense. I mean, I think it's one thing for a woman. Women didn't have that kind of autonomy that day to just deny their husbands. I mean, it was sort of a thing that you had to do was provide your husband with heirs. True. So I don't know that she... I mean... Part of this part of this book is that it's almost like she's applied a very sort of modern and feminist take on it within the context of it being back in that time, which just doesn't you Absolutely. can I mean you can enjoy it in the story or you can say, Oh, this is what she's doing. But would Elizabeth have been able to to- tell Darcy, you know, ten thousand pounds a year, Darcy, half of an estate, you know, like um owns half the English countryside, Darcy, that no, I'm not going to risk my life and not get pregnant for you again? Probably not. Right. Well, I think you're right that this is a very modern feminist take. I mean, what happens in the end is that Mary comes to live in a cottage not far from Pemberley, lives independently, has become a published author. So she supports herself somewhat, although she's really... She's really supported by Darcy. She's but, really supported um, by Darcy. She's a kept woman in a chaste sense. I think they just hold hands and talk. Oh, I totally disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Did you catch at the end when she's talking about the servant? How they, they he's hired no, this companion for her? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And whose whose chief um, the chief recommendations for her being that she falls asleep a lot and does not remember anything. Yeah. So she so, like yes. especially seems to fall asleep when Mary has a visitor. So right. like I think she's totally sleeping with Darcy in the house that's paid for by Darcy. She's writing her silly totally books. kept woman. But yeah, then she's like, "Oh, I'm going to go travel the world." And Darcy's like, "Well, I want to come with you." And she's like, "No, you're not coming with me. I'm going to do this like, by I want, myself. I want this for myself." Right. So she's like trying to be modern, trying to be independent, and yet she's sharing her sister's husband. In name only, of course, but she's sharing him, and she's also bankrolled by him. 
And, you know, she could never have lived in that. She's not making enough money to live in that cottage. Gosh, is it, I mean, if it were set in, is it totally, I totally envy her set up with Darcy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where Darcy can come visit. Right. Okay, but here's my main issue, which is in order to make her statement, in order to provide Mary with an intellectual equal and to show that Mary was capable of sort of capturing the imagination of an accomplished and sought after man, she totally had to torch the Lizzie and Darcy relationship. Well, she had to torch everyone in the book. I mean, she just... Well, she leaves some of them alone. Jane, I think, emerges relatively unchanged. Because she's totally boring. She's boring and sweet, and Mary's bingley and has kids and is lovely. The mom is silly as ever. The dad is aloof and only cares about Lizzie, which is the same as the original. Kitty is kind of non-a-nothing. Now, poor Lydia, who dies from, like, a flu or pneumonia, having lost several of her teeth. That was trying to really, keep up with Wickham's debt. Yeah, that was very depressing. And also they're like, oh, yes, Lydia died. Like, Mary's so unemotional. She's like, oh, yes. And now it turns out she died the night before. So, like, you know, certainly misfortune has befallen the Bennett family, except for for the two oldest who have these, you know, posh lives. But misfortune has befallen Lizzie, whose child dies in childbirth, and she does not have the marriage. I think that the people that she doesn't mess with are the people who are just terrible anyway. Like Mrs. Bennett was always kind of terrible. And so was Mr. Bennett. And the fact that he just sort of pulled himself up in the library and never paid any attention to what was going on with his girls. So Um, he, so she, she messed with Lizzie. Oh, Charlotte. She messed with Charlotte. Yeah. Charlotte. Even she messed with Mr. Collins. He was a little bit of a, he was annoying, but he, she had, her, him lead Mary astray for right. Charlotte, who turned out to be terrible. Yeah. Um, Fitzwilliam, the cousin, he's terrible. They're, I mean, just everyone, yeah. you know, anyone who wasn't terrible in the first novel is terrible in this novel. Right. And for me, the most disappointing of all of that, of, of course, course, is Lizzie and Darcy, because that's at the heart of Pride and Prejudice and why I love Pride and Prejudice, so romantic and so, like, you've got this relationship, this tempestuous relationship, and then they finally admit their love and you feel like, wow, that's, like, a true, like, this couple, like, they can't deny what they're feeling. And for me, to have their marriage unravel within a year and the fact that they say, oh, it wasn't even just the baby, the death of the baby, you know, he, Darcy's basically like, Lizzie got here, she changed, you know, how I was well, crazy yeah, to have thought like that money changed her. Right. I was crazy to have thought that this would have worked. We're incompatible. And I was like, wait, but that, but what, you know, what just happened? And well, were you I, surprised to see that Mary was, that this is where this was going? Because in the beginning, okay, there's three great loves and they have her right off the bat talk to Darcy, which of course we dismiss right away. But as the nature of her relationships with Mr. Collins comes to hand, it's just, I could tell from the setup, it's just like, they're not even equals. You're not even rooting for this relationship. So there has to be something bigger. And then, I don't know, probably less, a little less than a third of the way through the book. It's just like, are they really going to go there? 
You mean with Darcy? Is yeah. she really going to go there? Uh, my question is, why write a sequel to Pride and Prejudice when you clearly... It doesn't seem like she liked anything about the original. Right. I, I mean, that's she a made fair question. everything in the original. Yeah. And that's one of the things I didn't get a chance to do, which is I want to take a look at a couple of interviews and see... Mm, good idea. ...where she's coming from with this. Because... You could have written another book that was completely different. And not that I don't like this, because clearly she is talented enough to write about characters and sort of um, place the characters back in this time period and make it engaging and sort of interesting. But you basically set out to destroy (laughs) one of, yeah, like one of the principal romantic relationships in literature. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally true. And, and also... Like, why? Just write and, something else. Right. And also, here's another thing that doesn't make sense to me, is that Darcy's really smart, and Darcy's really discriminating. And why would Darcy be so taken with Mary when her writing is so silly? And, you know, he gets all caught up, what's happening to Leonora? This is this book that Mary's writing. And like anyone else who reads it, like Lizzie or Bingley's sister or whatever, they're all like, this is ridiculous. Why would Darcy sort of, why would that be the thing that he's susceptible to? Everyone in this book suffered. She made everyone terrible. And I thought Darcy was, this was a dumber version of Darcy, which is why I think in the end I was able to just sort of enjoy it for what it was. Because just like these are no, this is no version She's not true to any of the characters. Like, this is just not Darcy. This is sort of faux Darcy. Mm-hmm. Darcy light. Darcy light. Like, Darcy lecturing. First of all, it starts basically with him lecturing her outside when she's had too much to drink. And he's so concerned about that. And he's always, like, taking these moments to be with Mary, which I thought were totally ridiculous. I mean... The point of Pride and Prejudice was at this point, he was such a snob that he would not have deigned to say anything to Mary. Yeah. You know, besides maybe laugh with Carolyn about her behavior. Yeah. His change came much later and through Lizzie. And the changes that they went through in Pride and Prejudice, there's no way that they would have devolved to these characters because they did know each other. And they sort of had been through things that tested their character, you know, like... Darcy helped out with the Lydia Wickham situation. You know, Elizabeth realizes there's a plane going by. Elizabeth huh? realizes that she has not given him a fair shake, that she has jumped to conclusions without getting all of the details. You know, there was like real growth in that relationship that just gets thrown out the window. Mm-hmm. Which, like I said, it was sort of, I don't know, it was like an interesting experiment to watch Mary and to watch what she was doing, and which is why I enjoyed it, but I see why um, it's like pilloried on Goodreads. Oh, is it? I haven't looked. It has has like a 2.91 rating, which is on the low side for Goodreads. Hmm. Some people like it. I, I, I think just read Pride and Prejudice again. Yeah. I think that's good advice. <laughs> and like I said last time we talked, it's she's not coming back. She's not going to write a sequel. So if you want Pride and Prejudice, you got to read the original. 
Multiple times. Multiple times. And, I, and I've done that, and it's just as good every time. So if you need um, a fix on Pride and Prejudice, what? just read it. And, you know, you should read um, – no, not read. You should listen to the Rosamund Pike version, um, the audio book that she narrates, because it's really good. Oh, wow. So good. Okay. All right. I think we've uh, exhausted Pride and Prejudice. I mean, uh, Mary B. Yeah. All right, let's Spends get into our fifteen creeps. minutes on it. Okay, so welcome back Wait. for those of you who <laughs> <laughs> you had to you had to come forward several times. Well, we yeah. can't get into that before you have to tell us what you're reading. Oh, what I'm reading. Okay, so I just started on audio Red Clocks, which uh, I'm excited to read, listen to, um, and I think it's a dystopian book about women's reproductive freedom. But I'm really just you know barely. 50 or 25 pages in. I just started it. So I'll report back as I get further into it, but so far I like it. And um, I am reading a book called Unknown Girl. Is that right? The Unknown Girl. Girl Unknown? Girl Unknown. Thank you. Girl Unknown. It's um, about a girl who uh, enters the life of a professor She's best, I think she's like a freshman in, in college and she enters her professor's life and tells him he's her father. And then it's about how she, the impact that has on him and on his wife and his family. And I think there's a little bit of thrillery element to it as well. Mm-hmm. So I haven't had a whole lot of time to read with all the other stuff going on in my life right now. So I have, I'm getting to it pretty slowly, but um, I like it. Okay. How about you? Oh, what am I reading? Okay, so I started yesterday. I think I sent you a text message, and I was like, what should I listen to? Or I asked you what you were listening to because I needed some inspiration, and you told me you were listening to Red Clocks. And then I found that I have um, The Heart's Invisible Theories by John Boyne on audio. So I started that on audio. And so far it is about this... Um, this young Irish woman who basically is kicked out of her community when she turns up pregnant um, by someone in her community. It's sort of a mystery as to who is the father of her baby, but it seems like it's going to go on. Um, Her son will be adopted and it'll be about how he fits or doesn't fit within his adoptive family and how he chooses to make his life. And, um, the audio is read by an Irishman, which is fun because he has all of the accents. It is about 21 hours long, I think. So, Oh, my God. So, it, you know, expect me to report back at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, that's a long one for audio. Wow. <laughs> On how I'm doing with that. So I also started reading American Prison by Shane Bauer. Ooh, I have that book. Yeah, it's really good, but it's really depressing. And it's a story about how... He took a job, another plane, oh my gosh. So he took a job as a prison guard in Louisiana, and he managed to keep it for four months. He says that, you know, he's a journalist. He had written another book called um, A Sliver of Light, Three Americans. I don't know. It was about the three Americans who go to, they visit Iraq, but somehow they end up skirting the border or approaching the border of Iran and then they end up spending like two years in in prison 
So he had written already written that book and is a journalist. So he talks about how he never thought he would want to go into a prison again because it was such difficulty adjusting to life after he had been imprisoned in Iran before. Um, but just talks about the injustice of American prisons and, you know, how the whole prison complex is set up and the fact that he was, he gets this job and he makes like $9 an hour or something at this prison. So, he, you know, just talking about all the factors of who is imprisoning people, how we're making money off of it. And I don't know. I mean, I just, I think that is an incredible I don't know, sacrifice to make, I want to say, or dedication to want to be, to voluntary, voluntarily, I guess, imprison yourself as a guard yeah. when you've already spent so much time in a foreign prison. So that's one of the things I'm reading. I'm also reading Designing Your Life, How to Live a Well-Balanced, I don't know, something about how to live a well-balanced life by Bill Burnett. <laughs> okay. All about the self-help titles lately. Um, Designing Your Life, How to Build a, How to build a Well-Lived, Joyful Life by Bill Burnett and David J. Evans. Um, this book got a lot of buzz when it first came out, and it seems to be on a lot of bestseller lists. It has like a four-star rating on Goodreads. So I also finished You Are a Badass, so this is my, my next book in that. I'm sort of okay. reading businessy like books or inspirational books with one of my friends. So well, that's good. Um, so already we have we have to get to our creepy read. So okay, if I have any more time at the end of the show, maybe I'll make a few more updates. If not, we will save that for the next show. So all right. Um, what have you got for creepy reads? So for me, creepy reads, I mean, I'm not the type to read lots of like science fiction, supernatural, creepy, like, you know, Halloween-y type reads. That's not my type of book at all. Um, but I do have lots of thrillery, disturbing type of reads. And actually, there's two that on my list here that do have a few elements of the supernatural in them. That's not, you know, again, not what I usually read, but I was just trying to think of stuff that's super dark and unsettling. That's kind of more the direction I went on the creepy read front. I think that's good. Okay. So I have like maybe six or seven. Okay. And oh, good. Yeah. So, I mean, I can go through them pretty fast. Um, the first... Let's, let's get out of the way. The sh anything, if you think you've mentioned it on the show a few times, like I have a few that I've mentioned on the show, like as I was reading it and sort of gave probably an update as I finished reading it. So if you have any like that, let's just discuss okay. those so that we can go more in detail on the others. All right. Well, the ones I think I've probably talked about on the show are Behind Closed Doors, which I know we've talked about a lot. That's one of the psychopathic husbands, creepy, imprisoned woman type of book. Um, very disturbing, like super, super disturbing. Um, I have to read that book. Oh, you that. haven't read it. I haven't read that. I read, that's B.A. Paris, right? Yeah. Yeah. I read two other of her books. One I didn't like, one I did. Oh, um, yeah. You should read this one then. But yeah, I mean, I'm always so impressed by how disturbed you are by this book. Yeah, that was really disturbing. 
Um, although I have to say the disturbing books are all kind of running together. So I think I remember <laughs> what that was about. Then another one that we've both talked about is Best Day Ever, which is super disturbing. Another psychopathic husband, controlling, awful guy. That one's not quite as evil as um, Behind Closed Doors, but it's still pretty bad. That's by Kyra Ruda. And I think you and I both have read and discussed that on the show. Um, and then the only other one on this list that I've probably talked about is The Marriage Pact, which I I found that one pretty unsettling. It's not creepy and scary in in that there's ever present danger, but there, there is kind of like a constant stream of evil and of off. Yeah. Low level menace, low level menace that runs throughout it. So if you're looking for a creepy read, I'd put that on there. I agree with you. Like I played around with putting that on my list. Ultimately I had so many that I was able to narrow it down in a different way, but I, especially until the end, which I don't know, I kind of thought it had a weak ending. It would have been a better book. Mm-hmm. If the ending had been a little stronger, like that was the point where it sort of got a little fantastical for me. But up yeah. until then, I thought it was super creepy. Like just the fact that people are monitoring your behaviors and accept and, and assigning you punishments and that you're going along with this. Yeah. Super yeah. creepy. Yeah. Um, okay. So those are the three here that we've discussed before. And of mine, I'll say um, I've discussed Killers of the Flower Moon, which is about the basically the murder of Native Americans for their money and the formation of the FBI. It is, you know, I think that's just it was super menacing and creepy to read about those murders and to not know who was committing them and how it all comes together. Um, Another book that I talked about quite a bit was I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. This book I actually could not read in the evening hours. I couldn't read it before I went to bed because I couldn't have it in my head. And yeah, I pretty much read it during the day. And I think I might have had to take a little break from it. Um, it is about the Golden, the Golden State Killer who was actually caught, um, I think, back in the spring or early part of the summer, he was actually caught. But this book was about the writer who had spent so much of her life investigating it, and it was such a creepy read. Oof. Um, Another one that I thought was creepy, like the stories were just unsettling. It was like man against nature and just like these disturbing personal stories was um, Lauren Groff's book, Florida. That's a creepy read for me. That one is the newer, her newest one, right? Yes, her new short okay. stories. Okay. So, just to knock those out of the way. Um, all right, I'll tell you the one whose name I can't remember. Okay. It's about a woman whose memory, like, she wakes up and every Before morning... Before I go to she, sleep. Oh, my God, I think you got it. S.J. Um, Watson? Yeah, I think that's it. Mm. You know, and I on. knew that because I was going to text you and say, didn't you read that? Because I was trying to help you with your creepy reads list. Yep, there we go. Okay, before I go to sleep. All right, why don't I start with that one? Thank you. <laughs> okay. for your, I just pulled up my review. Um, so she has amnesia and she wakes up every morning with no short-term memory. Um, and she's every day she wakes up and is sort of shocked to know like 
how did I get to be this old? And who is this man in my bed? And, you know, every day he, he says that she's, he's her husband and tries to like, and she leaves notes for herself. Yeah. So she starts to keep a journal to help her retain the memory. And then it says the book is taught with suspense and suspense and tension. Um, and I won't get too much into the plot because that's, what's so intriguing about this book, but it's like, What's going to happen? How is she eventually going to figure out who she is, who this man is? Is he who he says he is? Um, but that one was very dark and scary. And, you know, I said that it had my heart racing and my eyes flying over the pages just to get further along. I said, don't read it right before bed. You might not get much sleep. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. There's certain things that are just kind of disturbing to think about before you go to bed. Like, yeah. I just finished this book, An Expert in Murder. I think I talked about this on the Facebook group. Um, you know, it's by Nicola Upson. And it's not like, I don't, there's just something about the intricacy with which she created the characters and then the murders that are occurring, the details about them that just, just one night had me really unsettled. Like, sort of, I had to try to stay up for another few hours so that that was not the thing Oof. that was on my consciousness. Yeah. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. And I'm usually not like that. I'm usually slice them and dice them and just go to bed, but <laughs> not this. Um, okay. What do you have? So I have Night Film by Marisha Pessel. I don't know if I feel like that's not the way you say her name, but she had written this book that... Um, Special Topics in Calamity Physics, which was super popular and polarizing. And then mm-hmm. this was her follow-up book. And it is about this 24-year-old who's found murdered. Um, or she's found dead. I think it's suspected it's a suicide, but the investigating detective doesn't believe it. And sort of he just gets into this creepy underground world of possible snuff films. Like her father... Um, is famous for for creating these spectacular films that people go to see and either they don't speak again or they go into hiding and they're never seen again. So he starts investigating this world, and it is a pretty creepy read. So there's that. Okay. What else have you got? Um, okay, so this is going back a ways. Um, I added this one. This is kind of a supernatural one. Her fearful, her fearful symmetry by Audrey Niffenegger, which is like a Gothic book about this set of twins and they move to London to live in their aunt's apartment. Her, their aunt has died and she has left them an apartment and said, um, you have to come and live in this apartment for a year. And yet she's haunting the apartment and there's all kinds of, and she Dark says that her that the parents can't step foot into the house. Yes, the, the parents can't come there. Right. So it's it's pretty. Uh, it's just dark and twisty and supernatural and gothic. It, I mean, if you like Audrey Niffenegger, she's so wildly imaginative and and about uh, creepy twins. <laughs> creepy twins. So I added that one to the list. I read it a long time ago. Um, I sort of came across that book recently when I was packing up my books and. I was like, oh, yeah, this one. So, anyway, I added that here. 
So one that I have mentioned on the podcast, I don't know that I mentioned it a lot. It's a book that really sticks with me. And so I feel like it's sort of a good literary creepy read. It's called The Ghost Notebooks by Ben Dolnick. It came out, I believe, in February or sometime earlier this year. And it is about this couple who have been living in New York. Um, they, They had been in conflict on whether they wanted to get engaged, but they decide to get engaged. And she had lost her job and had been looking for a job. And she's given the opportunity to be a curator of a museum in upstate New York and um, she gets to live on the premises or whatever. So this couple is newly engaged, you know, living in Manhattan, I believe, either Manhattan or Brooklyn, but committed to a city life. And all of a sudden they are transported to this old museum where creepy things have happened. The house may or may not have been haunted. There's some questions about what happened to the previous person who had who had held her position. So with the fragility of her, of their relationship, this is where they go. And of course, strange things happen. And it was pretty unsettling. I said that it kept me up. You know, it was one of those that I was hesitant to read. You know, it was just better. I was just better off if I read it during the day. And it's just, it's just really well-written, um, you know, explores relationships and it, and it explores grief. So it's sort of like creepy, I mean, there definitely is sort of a, there definitely is a supernatural element to it, but it also deals with very, I don't know, um, I guess, solid themes of grief and relationships and things of that nature. I almost picked a book by him. Um, I read another, his first one. Oh, which one was that? Oh, the bottom of everything. Oh, oh yeah. It is also sort of an emotionally creepy book about these people who, these two boys who were friends in middle school and then one of them kind of, I don't know, one of them kind of like disappears in India and then the other one's trying to find him. Uh, it's a weird book. It's really dark, but it's good. I like him. He's an interesting guy. I, I think I might have read that. That sounds familiar. Huh. It's set in D.C. Oh, was it? Yeah. It's a good book. So you read that by him? I did. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like five years ago, but yeah, I did read it. So he's the master of emotionally creepy books. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay. Um, okay, speaking of emotionally creepy, I have Carousel Court, which I have talked about, <laughs> but not for a long time on this show by Joe McGinnis. I love to hear her talk about Carousel Court. Rant about Carousel Court. Man, that is a dark book. <laughs> That's about this married couple who lives in L.A. That uh, might have been LA. where you started to make your turn from super dark books to starting to go towards the light. Oh. I just would get out of the car depressed when I was listening to that book. It's about this couple. They move into this big house in California. And then, of course, the real estate market falls apart. And they're stuck with this house. They're way underwater on this house. And they need to sell it, get out of this neighborhood. But they're surrounded by all these other homes of people who have either, you know, trying to, trying to, like, 
figure out how to afford their homes or they've moved out. So it's these empty, creepy houses and like a cul-de-sac in suburban LA. And then like the, the, the husband starts getting into, in order to make money, he starts getting into this job where he goes into houses of that, that have gone bankrupt and removing the people's belongings. And it's just, it's like this vigilante justice happening and everyone's taking drugs and there's a little kid involved. So of course you're always worried about the safety of the little kid. And, Oh, that was such a relentlessly dark and awful book. Oh my God. But it's super creepy. Yeah. That sounds creepy. New details have emerged. I didn't realize there was a little kid involved that you just said. It was like really dark, unrelentingly depressing. Yeah, no, they have a little son who's, like, two, mm. who's just constantly getting, like, shafted, you know? Like, oh, it's just, it's really, it's really a dark read. So anyway, Carousel Court. <laughs> Back to life. So another couple of books that I had mentioned on the podcast, um, one is The Hunger by Amakatsu which is about the Donner Party. And she adds this historically accurate, I mean, she weaves in these elements, I guess, of Native American mythology and supernatural mythology of around the time that the Donner Party was made, their wagon party was making their way through the mountains and she weaves it into the story. So it's not, it is historical fiction, but it definitely has supernatural elements. And of course, because the supernatural elements um, are become a part of the story. You can't say that it's completely historically accurate, but it's it was really good and a really creepy read. Just like what is out there in the woods that is preying on the Donner Party, as well as their very real, just sort of tensions as they're slowly starving to death while making their way through this mountain pass. It was really good. Oh, that does sound creepy. It, yeah, it was really creepy. Did you have so, any? Yeah, I've got a few more. Um, okay. So one of the ones, I read this a long time ago, but it has stayed with me. This is an author that is really not my genre, but I've actually surprisingly read two of her books, Laura Lippman, oh, who yeah. writes, yeah, crime fiction, mostly set in Baltimore. Um, is and that one why of the, you read them? No, not at all. I just, there were two that had interesting plot lines to them, and for whatever reason, I picked them up. I doubt I would pick up a Laura Lippman again, but I did <laughs> read these two. Um one was called And When She Was Good, and it's about a woman who makes her living as a high-priced hooker. Basically, she's like a madam for wealthy men. And she is trying to – I think she has a kid who doesn't know what she does. Um, and there's a man from her – earlier in her life who I think actually maybe it turns out is the father of her kid – and he used to be her pimp, like back before she was doing this kind of high price stuff, which she which she does on her own and makes a lot of money doing. And so he's like soon going to be released from prison, and she's worried that he's going to come and kind of blow up her world by I think exposing I who she is. Yeah, and then there's just some creepy stuff that happens at the end of this book. She's kind of being chased by one of his henchmen, and you know she's trying to protect her son. Uh, Anyway, not my type of book, but I remember reading it, and I think I did it on audio, and it was very um, Creepy. intense. Yeah, it was intense. And it turns out I think there was another Laura Lippman book that I read a long time ago 
which I didn't really remember very well, too. And these are just her types of books. They're like mystery thriller, dark, evil, scary ones. So, like, again, I don't think I'd read more because now that I've done two, I sort of know what they're like. Um, but, yeah, that was uh, – that's that made my list. Mm. So I have a few classics. Okay. And I think I would think that you have read – have you read The Lottery by Shirley Jackson? No, it's funny. My That's it. It's not just a short story. Yes. Yeah, my daughter just read it for English. Um, I haven't read it probably since high school. I was sort of thinking maybe I should again since she just read it. I just feel like that's like one of the – that book is so creepy. That's about like – well, give the premise of that. So the premise is these people are – they're living they're, – they're living in a part of community that requires a sacrifice. So each year there is a lottery, like lots are drawn, and basically this community stones whoever is chosen to death. So it's just like this really tense short story about what is taking place in the midst of um, – of them deciding who is going to be the next one chosen. And it's about, you know, the relationships between the family and the relationships, things that are going on in the community. Um, you know, I mean, that's just really creepy to living among people that, you know, it is going to be okay to be killed by them, you know, for whatever reasons. And I think that this is probably where Suzanne Collins got, I would I would be like super surprised if she didn't get her idea for the Hunger Games from this. Yeah, I was funny when you mentioned that. I was like, oh yeah, the Hunger Games would make a good one for this list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So there's the lottery. You should definitely read that. I find it super creepy. I might read it again. Creep myself out a little bit. You mm-hmm. know, some of the books that I find making the list for creepy reads as they're going around are like Dracula and Frankenstein. I don't find those creepy at all. Mm. Um, but I did find Turn of the Screw by Henry James is an interesting it's an interesting short novel to read that it is creepy it's about this governess and her two charges in this creepy old house Um, he has just mastered ambiguity with this novel so it is this would be a fun book club discussion or a fun discussion with anyone just because it is so perfectly ambiguous that just depending on who you are and what you're bringing to the story, you're going to have a completely different interpretation of what has happened, which I find fascinating. I think I've read it twice and I probably had different, a different take on it each time. I feel like maybe I read that in college. I don't remember it at all, though. It's probably a good college book. I mean, I would I would think that that would be taught in literature classes just because of how, I mean, it is super ambiguous. Like, everything can go multiple ways, and it's really sort of like a litmus test. Yeah. But creepy as well. Uh, I've got two more. Okay. One is The Next. Oh, yeah. Which has some supernatural elements to it. This is a book about a woman who dies of breast cancer. And (laughs) she has been left behind by her boyfriend who breaks her heart. And after she dies, she turns into a ghost and haunts him and messes with his mind and makes him miserable. Oh, does she? Um, 
yeah, she just causes things to happen that, you know, wreaks havoc on his life. I think he's with another woman at this point, And I, I don't know. I'm trying to, I don't remember all the details of what happens, but so you know, she's got unfinished story, business. Yeah. It starts off where she is dying of cancer. And I think he, I think that he knew. Oh yeah. But he is in another relationship at the time that her cancer occurs. He, has left her. I don't know if the woman is younger or whatever, but he has married someone who is prominent in her social circle or someone that she follows. Someone who's prominent enough that she can like stalk her via social media and this woman is pregnant. So she basically just loses the plot, dies, and devotes her afterlife to wreaking havoc on him. Yeah. Yeah, it's and she's like she is the so, woman scorned. Ultimate. She's the... <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and then my final creepy book is the creepiest of all creepy books. Uh-oh. Most disturbing book I've ever read. Oh, what's it's still that? one of the best. Uh, we Need to Talk About Kevin. Oh, yeah. By Lionel Shriver, which I know I've talked about in the show before. And it's about... I mean, I'm sure everyone knows about this book. It's about a woman whose son um, does a school shooting at his school. But it's all told from her perspective after the fact, and it's super dark and sad and really creepy and really good and really difficult. So for me, I don't think any list of creepy reads would be complete without a shout out to Lionel Shriver. That just reminds me of Baby Teeth, which I should mention. It's super creepy. Um, I was having a conversation with one of the members or an exchange with one of the members in our Facebook group, and she likened it to Kevin. Um, baby teeth and I said I had not thought about that connection but it, it it does make a lot of sense just because we need to talk about Kevin is all about the ambiguity of motherhood which is definitely a theme that is touched upon in baby teeth that you know once you have a child you can't take that back no matter you yep. know what effect that has on your life and just sort of how does a mother's what part does a mother's ambivalence I guess play right. in the development of her child. Yeah. Um, baby teeth is super creepy. You know, it is psychotic daughter, psychotic 10, eight year old. I don't even know if she's 10. She's pretty young. Um, which I think I had a little bit of trouble with the precociousness of the, of the child, but it's, it is psychotic child against, you know, like just beleaguered at the end of her rope, stay at home mom. Yeah. And, you know, the relationship with the husband who, as in with Kevin, is a little bit, you know, disbelieving or removed or doting on the child. I don't know. I definitely want to read that. And I'm definitely interested in you reading that and telling me what you, you know, (laughs) having some discussion around that. Because it's one of those books that because it was, it's so horrible. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, like the mom has like this. She has this illness that she's dealing with that plays an issue in it. It was just so intricate and so horrible in some ways that it's one of those books that I have trouble saying you should read this book because it's like, it's terrible. But it was also interesting and very discussion worthy. So I think you should read it. All right. I will. (laughs) I will. I definitely want to. Um, So that's it for me. Um. You know, I had a couple more, but I'm just going to, I'm going to forego them and 
in deference to time, just keeping us a little timely. So Mm -hmm. on another show when we're not quite so verbose, (laughs) (laughs) if I think of any creepy reads, I will keep you apprised because this is, I don't know, there's something about reading a creepy read in the fall, right? I don't know. There's something different. There's something about the weather, the fact that it's darker and cold and all the trees are naked and cast these shadows that really lends to that disturbing element, I feel. There's, I mean, there's just less creep factor in a warm summer day. Yeah, I think that's true. So, yeah. yeah, um, Join our Facebook group because we're starting to have more discussions there. And I'm always interested in in what people have to read. If you have any show ideas, Um, we sort of have in the works, like in its infancy, the development of some kind of readerly book club. So if you are in DC or if you're in New York, please reach out to us, either leave us a note in the Facebook group, or you can email me, Nicole, um, Nicole at readerlymag.com. And so we can just sort of gauge gauge interest and plan that maybe for the start of the new year. Because I run into so many people who don't have, have, um, book people to discuss things with. So yeah, if we can figure out some fun combination of online and offline, I think that would be really fun. I'm always about the offline. So yeah, drop us a note. Um, leave us a review. If you have enjoyed the show, um, you can leave us a review on iTunes, on Stitcher. I think we got a review. We've got a couple of reviews. We really enjoy getting them. We love reading them and hearing your feedback. Um, it helps us plan the show. So get in touch. Yes. We'd love to hear from you and until next time, happy reading. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the readerly podcast. You can find issues of readerly at readerlymag.com and you can find me Gail blogging at every day. I write the book, which is at every day. I write the book blog.com and Nicole at Linus's Blanket, which is linusesblanket.com. Please subscribe to the Readerly Podcast at iTunes or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Until next time, 